0: Today is Wednesday, October the 26th, 2020. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. On the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. On the Apple front, what do we have? Apple cuts production of iPhone 14 Plus. The slowdown follows the cut in production of the iPhone 14 model. Apple is cutting production of iPhone 14 Plus within weeks of starting shipments as it reevaluates demand for the mid range model. Apple told at least one manufacturer in China to immediately halt production of iPhone 14 Plus components, according to a report. The move comes at a time when the global smartphone market has been softening, shrinking 9% in the third quarter compared with the same period a year earlier. According to estimates from data research firm Canalys, which expects weak demand over the next six to nine months, the iPhone 14 Plus, part of a new lineup announced on September 7th, is positioned as a cheaper alternative to its more expensive iPhone Pro models and started being shipped to customers on October the 7th. Apple freezes plans to use China's YMTC chips. Apple has put on hold plans to use memory chips from China's Yangtze Memory Technologies Company in its products after Washington imposed tighter export controls against Chinese technology companies. Who is YMTC? Yangtze Memory Technologies Corporation is a Chinese state-owned semiconductor integrated device manufacturer specializing in flash memory, that's NAND chips, founded in Wuhan, China, in 2016. Apple had originally planned to start using state-funded YMTC's NAN flash memory chips as early as this year. The chips were initially planned to be used only for iPhones, sold in the Chinese market. The company was considering eventually purchasing up to 40% of the chips needed for all iPhones from YMTC. Analysts believe that YMTC is among the smaller companies that provide memory chips to Apple, and it will see little to no effect by the move. However, the bigger implication is that it limits Apple from potentially further diversifying its supplier base by utilizing domestic Chinese players and improving its cost profile over time. Apple is moving a greater amount of production to Vietnam and India to make products like the AirPods and new iPhones. The United States last week added China's top memory chip makers, YMTC, and 30 other Chinese entities to a list of companies. Additionally, the administration's sweeping set of export controls on China is a bid to slow Beijing's technological technological and military advances by cutting the country's supplies off from certain semiconductor chips made anywhere in the world with U.S. equipment. New report about how TikTok uses data. ByteDance employees in China allegedly plan to use TikTok location data to track specific U.S. citizens. A team at TikTok Chinese parent company ByteDance plan to harness the data from the app to monitor the personal location of some specific American citizens, according to an explosive report published in Forbes last Thursday. TikTok has been embroiled in controversy in the last few years over questions about whether the app could expose its data to the Chinese government. The company is involved in an ongoing negotiation with regulators to address national security concerns but the Forbes report seems to confirm some of the worst fears about the social media app. In a series of tweets, the company attacked Forbes. TikTok said that the app has never been used to target any members of the United States government, activists, public figures, or journalists, nor do we serve them a different content experience than other users. However, a part of TikTok's statement may be a red herring. The Forbes story never mentions GPS data, and there is plenty of information the app collects that could be used to track users' location, such as IP addresses, the names of Wi-Fi networks, and more. After BuzzFeed's news reported that data from American users were repeatedly accessed by ByteDance employees in China, the company unveiled a plan called Project Texas that would store data on servers in the United States. The plan is supposed to ensure that so-called protected data would be limited only to authorized personnel pursuant to protocols being developed within the United States government, TikTok said in a letter to Congress. The federal government has been taking a hard look at TikTok. Just last month, the New York Times reported that TikTok was nearing a deal with the administration over the app's data practices to affect national security concerns. It's hard to imagine a setup that that would guarantee employees based in China can't access data about American TikTok users. Even if the data itself is unavailable, information gleaned from analyzing that data could be just as useful. Data aside, many experts say there are far greater concerns. TikTok's recommendation algorithm, which powers the app, could be manipulated to hide certain topics or promote propaganda. But in conversations about data privacy and security, it's important to remember that the Chinese government doesn't need TikTok in order to get its hands on American user data. There are hundreds of companies based in the United States that make their money selling information about you to anyone who wants it. Yeah, that includes Meta or what you know as Facebook. But even without buying the data, a Gizmodo investigation from 2020 demonstrated the data from American tech and social media companies makes its way onto servers owned by Chinese companies all the time. New U.S. sanctions see semiconductor suppliers halt business with China to protect U.S. national security. Vital companies have already started pulling support staff from Chinese foundries, and on Friday, the United States announced new restrictions that ban U.S. semiconductor equipment suppliers from exporting to China. The sanctions hope to cut off China's ability to obtain advanced semiconductors used for supercomputing due to the national security concerns, the U.S. claims. As reported in the Financial Times, U.S.-based equipment suppliers have to cease all business with Chinese semiconductor companies. The move forces Chinese chip manufacturers to look elsewhere for manufacturing tools and equipment, a massive blow to China's semiconductor industry. U.S. semiconductor tool makers such as Lam Research, Applied Materials, and KLA Corporation have already started work to comply with the new regulations. Lam is pulling out support staff from chipmakers in China, and according to the Financial Times, an anonymous employee speaking to the publication said that they are being told to stay away from fabs in China for now. ASML, another chip tool maker from the Netherlands, has told all U.S. employees to refrain from either directly or indirectly from servicing, shipping, or providing support to any customers in China until further notice. The new sanctions, according to the Department of Commerce, is the Bureau of Industry and Security are part of ongoing efforts to protect U.S. national security and foreign policy interests. The Bureau of Industry and Security also says that restrictions will hinder China's ability to purchase and manufacture certain high-end chips used in military applications. Any U.S. citizen or company that wants to provide services to Chinese chipmakers will need special approval from the Department of Commerce. Chinese chipmakers can apply for permission from the U.S. to do business with these companies. TSMC and SK Hynix told Financial Times that they had both received one-year exceptions. Reuters reports that enforcement of these new rules limiting the export of sensitive technology to China will be strict. It's part of an overarching policy to address concerns stemming from the People's Republic of China use of these particular technologies to the detriment of the United States' national security and foreign policy interests in recent months. In a statement last Thursday, the China Semiconductor Industry Association said it hopes the United States government can adjust its wrong course of action, according to the Financial Times. The other company well-known to PC Gamers, facing complications with its business in China is NVIDIA. The company was ordered to cease all sales of some of its more powerful graphics cards to companies in China, though shortly after was given a one-year exception to ensure its continued logistics operation in Hong Kong. And now, as far as I'm concerned, here's a head-scratcher. There's a ban on exporting to China semiconductor equipment supplies, but there is a one-year exception to ensure its continual logistical operations in Hong Kong. That is like saying, we're not going to use the front door to give you supplies. We will, however, use the back door. Google's incognito mode is not truly private at all. In a recently released email, Google Marketing Chief Lorraine Toohill proposed strengthening incognito's mode's protection in order to gain user trust. Make incognito mode truly private, Hill wrote in a 2021 email. She said, We are limited in how strongly we can market incognito because it's not truly private at all, thus requiring really fuzzy, hedging language that is almost more damaging. Google Chrome users frequently turn to incognito mode when searching for sensitive or smutty content. But critics and some of Google's own employees say the company isn't upfront about how much of the user information is still exposed. More than half of users falsely believe using incognito mode prevents Google from seeing what they search online. According to a 2018 study from the University of Chicago, and the Leibniz University of Hanover, in addition, more than 40% falsely think that incognito prevents websites from estimating their location, according to the study. One Google engineer wrote in 2018 with a link to the study about the users overestimating incognito's protections, saying we need to stop calling it incognito and stop using a spy guy icon. Another employee proposed changing incognito's launch screen to say you are not protected from Google. That proposed change was obviously will have and it was rejected by Google executives according to court documents. One employee proposed changing incognito's launch screen to say you are not protected from Google. Google's current incognito launch screen tells users that other people who use this device won't see activity, but that Website you visit, your employer or school, and your internet service provider may still be able to see their activity. It does not mention Google being able to see users' activity. Google spokesperson Jose Castaneda said in a statement, Privacy controls have long been built into our services, and we encourage our teams to constantly discuss or consider ideas to improve them. Incognito mode offers users a private browsing experience, and we have been cleared about how it works and what it does, whereas the plaintiffs in this case have purposely mischaracterized our statements. These emails were unearthed as part of an ongoing class action lawsuit against Google in California federal court on behalf of millions of incognito mode users. If a judge allows the suit to move forward, Google... Could be on the hook for billions of dollars in damages. DuckDuckGo makes its Mac browser beta open to all. All Mac users can now take DuckDuckGo's browser and its built in privacy protection for a spin. The company released its desktop web browser in December last year before launching it as a closed beta in April. Now the beta browser is finally open to the public and can be downloaded. The company has also bundled the browser with new features, some of which were requested by testers who've been using it over the past few months. One new feature is the Duck Player, a YouTube player that prevents the website from serving the viewer-targeted ads. While YouTube will still require a user's views, the videos they watch will not add any information to their advertising profile. The company says that check check the company says that had prevented most ads from showing up in videos during testing but any ads that does pop up for viewers will not be personalized another new feature is integration with bitwarden an open source password manager on top of duckduckgo's own manager and support for one password's autofill feature when it switch on DuckDuckGo's email protection can shield the user's inbox with email tracker blocking. The company has also upgraded its cookie consent pop-up manager to be able to block more cookies on more websites. Other features that were added after testers requested them included the book check check, the bookmarks bar, pin tabs, and a way to view locally stored browsing history. The browser for Mac will import passwords and bookmarks from other browsers like Chrome. The fire button can instantly clear browsing data with one click, and it is accessible at the top right corner of the app. To note, DuckDuckGo hasn't forgotten its Windows users. Its Windows browser is still in early beta though, and the company is planning to make it available to more people through a private waitlist beta launch in the coming months. FCC denies ISP requests to keep their coverage calculations secret. Operators had until September 1 to submit fresh and detailed coverage data to the FCC and the Federal Communications Commission dismiss pleas from dozens of operators to keep the methodology for calculating the broadband coverage confidential, arguing transparency is necessary to make its mapping challenge process effective. Requests from the likes of ATT, Verizon, Lumen Technologies, Consolidated Communications, and DISH were among the denials. The agency is carrying out a congressional mandate to formulate new broadband coverage maps through the Broadband Data Collection Program, with the goal of improving on earlier maps which were generated using Form 477 data. Operators had until September 1 to submit fresh and detailed coverage data to the FCC and the agency has said it is targeting the release of an initial map in November based on this information. After submitting their data, however, it seems many operators sought to conceal how they generated their coverage estimates. By and large, though, the FCC has shot down these requests, generating a flurry of denial letters this week. Verizon, for instance, asked for confidential treatment of its link budget parameters. Link budget rationale and the heat maps for its mobile networks, as well as its fixed broadband location maps. The operator argued exposing the latter might allow competitors to target their responses based on its availability information. It also said disclosure of information around its fixed wireless access product would provide cable and other competitors too much insight into its deployment and marketing plans. The FCC's first mapping deadline passed, and here's what happened next. The FCC largely denied its request, making an exception only for Verizon's mobile link budget parameters rationale. It noted the whole point of the broadband data collection is to make such information available and concluded the operator does not explain why its situation differs from the typical provider, such that Verizon's information should be kept confidential despite the Commission's findings, nor how disclosure of Verizon information will place it at a competitive disadvantage to its rivals whose information also is being publicly disclosed. The agency used a similar rationale in its letter, denying a request from Consolidated to keep its fixed broadband coverage methodology confidential. The aim of the broadband data collection is not only to provide this information to the Commission, but also to make such data available to the public for the purpose of validating and challenging the accuracy of service provider submission. Public access to the descriptions of the methodology used to generate fixed broadband availability data will maximize the effectiveness of the broadband data collection challenge process. The aforementioned challenge process will begin once the FCC releases the initial version of its new map next month. Challenges will be used to create a refined map location fabric, which is set to be released in December. A second version of the FCC's coverage map, which the federal government is planning to use to distribute money from the $42.5 billion broadband equity access and deployment program, will likely follow in early 2023. If you're contemplating on moving... There are two important pieces of information you need to identify where to move. The broadband coverage information from available ISPs is a must have information. The speed of transmission should not be overlooked. Some ISPs still adhere to 25 megabits per second as high speed, as the FCC defines 25 megabits as high speed. Today, most people expect high speed to be 75 megabits per second at minimum. With an internet speed of 25 megabits per second, you can expect to download files at about 2.98 megabits per second. That's quite slow. Currently, 25 megabits per second download with three megabits per second upload is considered to be high-speed broadband as stated by the FCC. Some may be considering moving to a small village or hamlet to escape the problems in an urban environment. If you're doing so, Check the availability of 911 service also. Not all 911 service have a 24-7 service. Many of the small population areas have a medical center only and not necessarily a hospital. And check how far away is the nearest hospital. The number one reason your USPS package says it's delivered when it hasn't. The United States Postal Service, also known as USPS, has managed to speed up the process of mail delivery over the years. And now we're able to track our packages online from the time we place an order to the moment our postal carrier is supposed to arrive. But it's hardly a foolproof system. Sometimes this tracking information will list a package as delivered even if we know a USPS worker hasn't shown up to our door yet. As it turns out, There may be an explanation. A great number of packages are being shuffled across the United States every day, but they don't all end up making it to the intended recipients. Researchers from RPI, which is the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, estimated that in 2020 alone, 1.7 million packages were stolen or lost every day in the country. Meanwhile, Swift Lane reported that in May of 2020, missing packages report had increased by 128% across all four major U.S. carriers, USPS, Amazon, FedEx, and UPS. According to a report from the New York Times, roughly 15% of all deliveries failed to reach customers in major areas like New York City because of package theft and other problems like deliveries being made to the wrong residents. It's an issue every time I have to order anything. Do they offer tracking? Is it too big for a mailbox? Do I have it diverted? When it comes to the USPS, at least, sometimes your package isn't actually missing. Instead, you might be receiving it well after it's been marked as delivered. Your package might say it's delivered when it hasn't been. If the status of your USPS package says delivered and you can't find it, the agency advises that you first check any of the places your carrier may have left it. This includes your mailbox, porch, garage, and exterior doors. I even found one time it was underneath the car. Check all potential delivery locations at your address, the agency says. Carrier may have placed it in a secure location out of view of the street such as under a mat or near a back entrance. Still no luck locating your package? While you might assume it's been stolen, don't stress yet, this status does usually mean that your package has, in fact, been delivered, but not always the case according to USPS. Based on my experience, they should first ring the doorbell. They often just place the package in front of the door without even trying to ring the doorbell. So why was your package preemptively marked as delivered? There's a common reason for this issue. According to those who worked for the USPS, it seems to be a result of the agency's scanning process. A former USPS mail carrier said that postmasters would check to make sure all parcels and mail have been scanned at the end of each day. This results in the possibility of somebody having scanned it as delivered instead of attempted. There are many different scenarios that could have happened, but the main thing is it didn't get sent out with your carrier somehow, and everything that has a barcode must be scanned by the close of day. You may still have to reach out to USPS. If it's been more than 24 hours since your package was marked delivered and it still hasn't shown up, you should contact USPS immediately. According to the agency, customers can send a service request by email to their post office facility for a follow-up on their package, you will receive a confirmation number and a contact within two to three business days. Many use mail order pharmacies as a more convenient way to receive prescriptions, but when it comes to essential medications, I use a local pharmacy even if it may cost a little more. When the USPS is experiencing a 15% lost mail, there is more work to be done to make USPS efficient but more importantly, reliable. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell.
1: This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about you, IT, and the workplace. And this week, we're gonna cover a little bit more in regards to the workplace. Uh, this is only coming out because i've got a friend who is in it and this is something that that he's kind of struggling with all right so my friend he went out and he's looking for uh, he's looking for a new job and he was interviewing for a company and they talked about flexible hours and flex work and, and things like that And they were teasing him with, yeah, you get to work from home two days out of the week. And uh, we're looking for three in office and two at home. Uh, So, you know, he's enticed by that. He enjoyed that. Now, let's back up. Let's back up on this entire situation. Let me look at this from where we were five years ago. Five years ago, we were all working five days in the office. Or six days or seven days, 12-hour days every day, whatever it is. But you would work in the office. Then the pandemic came along. And before the pandemic, I mean, I remember working at one of the companies I've worked for. I would work one day out of the week at home. And I've talked about that. And it was there were some struggles there with my experience. But it was mostly five days in the office. Of course, the pandemic came along and we all worked from home and we were we were spoiled. That's not really that's not a good term. We were we experienced the reward of work life balance and we got the ability. We received the ability to be a little bit more flexible. All right. We know that you're working from home. So, Yes. Sometimes you're going to be drawn away to take care of the kids, but we trust you to make up for that. And people did. A lot of people did. Not everybody, but that's okay. We found that we could be very productive without doing the major commute, uh, without all of these different uh, things that were feared by the employer. If they're working from home, we'll never know if they're actually working. Yeah, you will. You will see productivity. You will see the productivity of the individual, of the team, of the entire company. Yes, there might be some minor fluctuations, but they found actually people are actually they're getting better rest because they're not having to do an hour or two hours of commute every day. We're seeing that people are getting better work-life balance because yes, they get to see a little bit more of their family. They get to spend time at uh, at break time and lunchtime with people that they really care about instead of water cooler gossip. And water cooler gossip in itself, in the office, that was something that was disruptive because then you started developing all kinds of problems with interpersonal relationships in the office. So my friend, let me go back to him, and he's job hunting, and he found this job, and yes, okay, work two days via remote and three days in the office. And then he found a new term. He found a new term because he found out what they were actually offering. The offering was, you work at home on Monday, you then work in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you work at home on Friday. He started to realize, well, that's actually a little bit different than working 100% at home, working 100% of the office. But the office is now dictating the mandatory hours where you are working. Now, this doesn't exactly instill confidence in him because they're dictating what's going on it's they said it's flexible it's flex hours it, it's it's a matter of okay we're we're giving you some of that work-life balance but they're not because again they are saying exactly where he has to be where he has to do certain work and so forth it's something that he found is weakening his position it's kind of diluting his interest in this particular role and i don't blame him i love the idea of uh, of truly being autonomous uh, am i autonomous no i uh, you know my my current role i work monday through friday via remote One day out of the week, and it's a flexible day, it might be Wednesday, it might be Friday, it might be on a Monday, I'll go into the office and I'll get some stuff done there. I'll see some of the people in the office that I need to see, and I will engage there as I need to. It's not all that important, it's not all that major of a deal if I spend two days in the office, or I spend no days in the office in a particular week, it balances out. It allows me, it allows the worker, the employee to have control over how they work. I still get my work done. My friend, he'll still get his work done wherever he's at. It just allows for a little bit more comfort, a little bit more of that seeing one's spouse one's kids, of dealing with the things that you can deal with when you are able to work from home. I'll tell you, we've got a lot of work done on the house because I've been able to just be at home and deal with workers, deal with all of the different things in life while working from home. And that's so rewarding. That's so much better. Dictating it like this, this flex washing Whitewashing the idea that you actually have some freedom. Yeah, it's pretty wild. This is Benjamin Rockwell. I hope you learned something new. Back to you, Hank.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. Returning to a Kodak moment. Kodak is hiring film technicians. The Vinyl Record Revival, also known as the Vinyl Resurgence is the renewed interest and increased sales of vinyl records or gramophone records that has been taking place in the music industry. Beginning in 2007, vinyl records experienced renewed popularity. Now there is a revival in film photography. Film photography. Eastman Kodak is hiring, and the company says its tactic of being the last color film manufacturer standing has paid off as Interest in analog photography continues to surge. They said they cannot keep up with the demand. Eastman Kodak has made a direct appeal for applicants to work in Rochester, where the company is still headquartered. Market demand is fueling the film manufacturer's growth. Consumer demand, particularly for 35mm film, has exploded over the last few years. Kodak says retailers are constantly telling us They can't keep these films on the shelves, and they want more. The good news caps a remarkable turnaround after Eastman Kodak filed for bankruptcy just over a decade ago. Eastman Kodak says, So really, our strategy of being the last company standing in color films, the last company making color films in both consumer and motion pictures, is paying dividends. We literally cannot keep up with demand. We need more employees. We're hiring. Our film finishing area, for example, have grown from five days a week, single shift operation a few years back to last year we were three shifts, five days a week, and now we are 24/7 operation. In the last 18 months, we've hired over 300 people across the film and chemicals floors and we're looking to hire more. Eastman Kodak says that the company's looking for skilled workers such as operators, chemists, and engineers, and adds that Kodak offers an award-winning apprenticeship program. A study carried out in December last year indicated interest in analog photography was surging. Nearly 76% of respondents were said to be hungry for new analog cameras. The survey found, and I believe that there is enough evidence in this survey to suggest that there is demand for other products and services. It isn't just Eastman Kodak that is experienced high demand for film. Film processing is fast-growing, and new technicians are being hired to cope with the increased demand. Kodak profits came from the film manufacture and processing, with camera production a loss leader. The company catered to both the professional and mass markets. When the latter dried up, the former could not sustain them without a viable business alternative. Kodak's tragedy was that it had all the technological ingredients for cornering the digital market, and it failed to take them. Kodak was the most dominant company in its field for almost the entire 20th century. But a series of wrong decisions killed its success. The company declared itself bankrupt in 2012. A lot has changed with Kodak in the last few years. After merging from Chapter 11 bankruptcy... Kodak is now a technology company focusing on imaging. NASA gets closer to Venus mission. With a successful robo balloon test, a scaled down prototype of the Aerobot balloon recently completed tests above Nevada's Black Rock Desert, NASA wants to send a giant silver balloon to Venus where the floating robot would explore the toxic Venusian atmosphere. Functional tests of a smaller prototype recently took place in the Nevada desert in preparation for this upcoming mission to the solar system's inferno. The prototype of the robotic balloon, or aerobot, just completed two successful test flights above the Black Rock Desert in Nevada. The shimmery balloon flew at an altitude of about 4,000 feet, which is 1,000 meters, and conditions in this part of Earth's atmosphere are somewhat similar to conditions found on Venus, but at heights reaching 180,000 feet or 55 kilometers above its scorched surface. The Washington University in St. Louis and Aerobot Science Collaborators said, the success of these test flights is a huge deal for us. We've successfully demonstrated the technology we'll need for investigating the clouds of Venus. These tests form the foundation for how we can achieve long-term robotic exploration high above Venus' hellish surface. Venus is basically Earth's evil twin. The neighboring planets share an analogous past as two rocky worlds with similar sizes and density, but Venus now boasts extreme conditions that make it inhospitable for probes. The planet's average temperature is over 850 degrees Fahrenheit, with a volcanic landscape and a carbon dioxide-rich atmosphere. Venus's atmosphere is also full of thick sulfuric acid clouds that make it nearly impossible for spacecraft to image the planet's surface. The team behind the Aerobot balloon designed it with multi-layered material that include an acid-proof coating, a metallization layer to reduce solar heating, and a rigid inner layer that makes it capable of carrying science instruments according to NASA. It's also not just one balloon, it's more of a balloon within a balloon design. A rigid inner reservoir is filled with helium under high pressure which gets tucked inside a larger outer helium balloon that can expand and contract. This design will allow the balloon to change altitude as it cruises through the Venusian atmosphere. Aerobot will pump Helium into the outer balloon to give it more buoyancy and then pump it back into the reservoir to lower its altitude. The prototype is three times smaller than the final product destined for Venus. The Aerobot won't be alone during the mission. An accompanying orbiter will take scientific measurements and relay data between the balloon and ground controllers on Earth. The pair will observe Venus for roughly 100 days analyzing the chemical composition of the clouds, and monitoring the atmosphere for acoustic waves caused by Venus quakes. This isn't the first time scientists will have sent a balloon to Venus. In 1985, the Soviet Union's twin Vega 1 and 2 probes, consisting of balloons and landers, arrived at the planet, but they only lasted for about 46 hours, owing to limited battery life. Their Aerobot mission should last longer. NASA hasn't sent a dedicated probe to Venus since the Magellan program, which arrived at the planet in 1989. Later this decade, however, NASA's Da Vinci probe will head to Venus, where it will plunge through Venus's atmosphere before landing on its surface, and Da Vinci is one of three upcoming Venus missions with a super-hot planet. Windows subsystem for Android declared ready for prime time. That is, Microsoft saying that. The selection of available apps is limited. Microsoft has decided the Windows subsystem for Android, that's WSA, that runs Android VMs, which behave just like another application in Windows, is sufficiently stable that it can be designated version 1.0 and made available to all. Microsoft appears not to have made an official announcement about the product availability beyond a tweet from the development manager for the project. However, the Android apps are only available from the Amazon.com app store and not the larger Google Play store. Google apps aren't in the Amazon and Microsoft stores. When a search term does not bear fruit, it delivers what looks like a knockoff app. Installing WSA is very easily accomplished by using the Microsoft Store to install the Amazon App Store as a Windows application. Once you acquire an app from the Amazon App Store, it appears in Windows as just another app. And once you run it, it behaves just like any other app. Microsoft advice to developers suggests that WSA is an ideal way to target Windows users with code written for Android. But it notes that many things may need to change before an app behaves well on the desktop operating system. Code that assumes touch input, for example, may not deliver a great user experience when used with mouse and keyboard. From where I sit, if you really want to run an Android application, Android devices are so cheap now, you're better off buying the cheap Android device rather than go through the time and effort to get something to run on Windows, and it's only from Amazon, not the real deal. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston
1: joins me now with his Marty Winston's Weather Advisory My
2: Winston wintered wizardry is at work here.
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh,
2: By the way, I'm not sure what it's like in the the center part of the country, but it's no longer summer here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, consider, I I mean, what? Halloween is, what is it, Monday, Tuesday, whenever it is.
2: It's very, very. Around the corner. Around the corner. Yes. Yeah. We we know the day of the week. We're not sure what week. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, and,
2: man. and anyway, the first thing that always comes to mind is when it's cold outside, we tend not to be. We yeah. tend not to be outside. We can be cold. But you right. shut that house down, right? What mm-hmm. happens? The house isn't breathing anymore. It's not exchanging air with mm-hmm. the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to borrow a beat from American Express, what's in your lung tissue? Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's uh,
1: okay. That's a little scary. but Well, yeah, I if mean, you want
2: a preview, you know, we're close to Halloween, as you mentioned. If you want a preview, check out the air filter in your HVAC. Mm-hmm, okay. Take a look at that thing. What's on it? Yuck, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's- yeah. So I, so I go back uh, a year and a half ago. I bought a, I bought a home, and it was 25 years old or something like that. And uh, it was a little while into it when I went, OK, I've got to figure out how to replace this air filter. And uh-huh, you're right. You're right. It was it was scary.
2: Uh, and it grows that carpet of crud. Take a good look. You want to breathe <laughs> that? I mean, if the last time you replaced your air filter, well, if back then Hillary Clinton was still in the news, you're past due. <laughs> Fair, Fair enough. No, nope. Yes nobody at our house has bad allergies allergies are their own thing and you might have to have a more restrictive air filter Mm -hmm, but everybody you know do you really need 18 billion pixels in a camera no do you really need a hepa filter in your furnace no it hurts it it makes it fail earlier Mm -hmm, i tend to use you know, MERV eight, maybe MERV eleven, sometimes MERV thirteen, but no more than that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty restrictive as it is. (laughs) You want to keep
1: breathing. (laughs) You sounded like Gollum there for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell. (laughs) Uh, Anyway
2: that will capture the dust. It might let some small allergens through, but Mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, it doesn't resist ventilation airflow. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. less wear and tear. Fewer bills. It doesn't fail as soon. You know, it's one thing to spend 30 bucks on a filter, another to spend 30,000 replacing big, big HVAC failures. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, now, one more thing people are circula- circulating, not like air, but, you know, we're out and about, we're shopping. Some mm-hmm, of us go yeah, to an office, yeah. some of us, you know, do other stuff. Well, with that happening, you want to make sure that the viruses we're picking up and they're out there. Mm-hmm, yeah are not getting shared with the family Mm -hmm, you know so air fans that are on the ceiling ceiling fans are my favorite thing no matter what advice you've ever heard have the air flow downward Mm -hmm, when the air pushes downward the virus getting exhaled will go out of the range where someone else can inhale it and that is your first cheapest antivirus thing you can do in the house
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, look one other thing to remember this year and then okay breaking news everybody. No candy that's bought before October 22nd is ever still around for the <laughs> trick and treaters.
1: Uh, so you you know that I just went and did that. I had to go buy candy to replace. Uh, yes. Oh, man, you're and too funny. And candy costs more this year.
2: Yes, it did. Oh, man. So you Un- know, the 25, 50, 75% more, depending on, on what you're looking at. By the way, we found Chuckles. Chuckles reappeared in the store. we we had a piece <laughs> a, a few weeks ago about them just Yeah, 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 yeah. now they're back. Yeah. Uh you know, where it comes to candy figure something out, you know, is there something you really don't like that the kids won't mind? Mm-hmm, <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm, that's what you. Mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. Uh now, if your crew hits the treats trail. Yeah. Have you have you noticed the sun is going down just a little bit earlier that it's dusky around supper time, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So before they head out, now, right now, check or just replace the flashlight batteries. Those
1: flashlights yes. are the yeah, yes, okay. yes,
2: Things that go bump in the night in those costumes are especially dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very, very true.
2: Yes. And it, don't,
1: it, it, don't, it, it, what ahead. are your What are your thoughts on like the uh, the, the calcium light sticks and stuff like that for trick or treaters? Well, they're okay for the first twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about the really good ones though the well the really good one yeah fine but uh, yeah. The, uh, you can buy a
2: new flashlight for less money yeah fair enough fair enough <laughs> and the new about flashlight that, yeah. is reusable later yeah, yeah yeah i mean if you want something that glows in the dark glows in the light glows no matter what Hire me. I'm entertaining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's better than what I thought you were going to say. Just irradiate your kids. Just They'll go in the dark. They'll be great. Yeah. Uh, a little radium. Sure. <laughs>
2: radium. I, I, why do I keep going for tritium? Oh, that's right. Trick or tritium. That must be the <laughs> holiday. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Uh, party comment? Uh, yes. Happy Halloween. There we go, I, and and I thought that was going to be scary, but it wasn't. As for now, <laughs> as for now, this is Benjamin Rockwell, and that's Marty Winston. righty. this is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you,
0: Hank. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements, computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey. Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The Brookdale Computer Users Group has a presentation: How to Make the Best of Video Meetings. A presentation by Alfred Poor, Thursday, October the twenty seventh. Meeting time at six forty-five p.m. It's a virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is bcug.com. Tech Ed Connect formerly known as the Westchester PC Users Group, has a presentation on uninterruptible power supplies. Thursday, November the 3rd. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey has a meeting on Friday, November the 4th. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. The King's Computer Club meets Tuesday, November the 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Park Plaza Restaurant, located at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, November the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Presentation is Guide to Buying New, Refurb, Overstock, Discount, and Outlet Computing Equipment. It's an online virtual meeting via Zoom. The website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group has a meeting on Friday, November the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is limac.org. Happy computing. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.